This was very early last night, first minute of the game between the Colts and the Broncos. Naheem Hines catches a pass, takes a hit to the helmet, and we saw the term that we learned a couple of weeks ago from the concussion protocol, gross motor instability. Someone suggested derisively last night that that's the new term for getting knocked out. He wasn't knocked out. He's displaying the kind of wobbliness that will get you an immediate concussion evaluation under the current protocol But under the inevitable new protocol, you are done for the night. Whatever it is that is causing you to wobble like that, whether it's your head or your back or some other condition, the new protocol, Peter, you are going to be shut down. And we knew from last night it was bad enough we weren't going to see him again, and we didn't. But that was the kind of stuff Tua Tonga-Vailoa was doing 12 days ago, and he still ended up back in the game. And that really addresses... The broader picture here, where do things stand with Tua Tonga-Vailoa and the investigation? There was some interesting information in the pregame last night because Richard Sherman, even though he's retired, he's still on the NFLPA executive committee until his term ends. So he said during the Amazon pregame that the union believes the protocols weren't followed in the Tonga-Vailoa situation and that the NFL apparently believes they were. And that Dr. Alan Sills is of the mind that they operated out of an abundance of caution before they let Tua Tonga-Vailoa back in that game against the Bills. And Sherman said, if that's an abundance of caution, what would recklessness have looked like? They let him back in the game when the union believed that that wobbliness we saw from Tua Tonga-Vailoa was enough for him to be done for the day. If it's his head, obviously. If it's his back, obviously. So they're kind of at loggerheads right now. And this has never happened before, Peter. They've done plenty of joint investigations under the concussion protocol, and they've always agreed on what the outcome should be. And it sounds like right now, because they wanted to have this done yesterday so the new protocol would be in place for week five. Right now, it sounds like the union and the league are at an impasse. And the only way this gets resolved is grievance and arbitration. If they can't come to an agreement on whether or not the protocols were followed, it sounds like the league believes they were and the union believes they weren't. Yeah, and, you know, the only important thing is last night when you saw the Naheem Haynes thing, or Naeem Hines, excuse me. What I just thought immediately is he's done for the night no matter whether he's got a stone in his shoe and that's causing him to, to, to wobble. It doesn't matter. It's over. And that is the healthiest thing, all things considered, for this game. And, Mike, I, I do think that the Players Association, I, I like them taking a stand in this case. And I like them erring on the side of extreme caution uh, and, and pushing for this. And I, I, I root for them to, uh, you know, to push this as far as they can. Uh, because, look, it's like what, uh, what Rob Ninkovich told me the other day, the retired Patriot, told me two things for my column last week, the other day. He said, look, if I were, uh, you know, I... If I were a 54-year-old Tua Tonga-Valoa, I'd write a letter to my 24-year-old self and say, what were you thinking, you know, and going back in the game? And the other thing that he said that I thought was really enlightening and absolutely real is I had a choice to go back to the Patriots. Bill Belichick, and I didn't write this, but Bill Belichick was coming after me, and he said, look, you don't even have to play in training camp. Just come in for the season, uh, and you can, you know, you can you can just basically show up for the season, and you know, you you can make X amount of dollars and everything. 
And he said, I had to decide whether one more year at 150 hits in the, or I'm sorry, 850 hits in the head was worth the money that I was going to make. And he said, of course, you're, you're not happy with bypassing that money and ending the dream of a football career. But to me, the 850 hits part in the helmet, it wasn't worth it. So I retired. And I think that is what I looked at this game last night. I saw Naheem Hines. He's not going to read. I doubt he's going to retire out of this. But I look at players now who retire before the end, uh, before they get kicked out. And I think so many of them have to be thinking exactly the same thing. You know, what am I going to be like when I'm 54 years old? I need to be concerned with that now. That doesn't happen, though, because when you're that age, 54 may as well be 540. When you're in your early to mid-20s, you're not thinking decades down the road. You're barely thinking weeks down the road. That's just the mindset. That's the way the human body is constituted at that age. I remember being that age. The thought of being 57 when I was 21, I don't want to think about that. First of all, I may not live that long. Second of all, man, that's old. I don't want to think about that. So you don't think about that. You don't think about how your life's going to be. You just assume, well, when I'm 57 years old, if I live that long, I'll have the problems that somebody 57 years old has. I'll worry about them then. For now, I'm going to be young, have fun, and drink Pepsi. I mean, that was the whole attitude, and I think that's still the attitude. <laughs> so you have to – seriously, you have to, yeah. you have to get people who simply aren't wired to think about their future selves to think about their future selves. Because the players, and that's the push and pull here, Peter. This is what it all comes down to. And this leads to the other topic I want to get your thoughts on. The players don't care. They, they don't care about having a concussion. I'd rather have a concussion than a knee injury. We've talked about that time and again. Larry Fitzgerald offering, and he said it himself, to pay the fines of the players who would get penalized financially for hitting him illegally in the helmet do that, please. I'll pay your fine because I don't want you taking out my knees and tearing my ACL and then I'm screwed for a whole year. Concussion goes away. That's our attitude. And it goes with territory. It's part of what we signed up for. It's a badge of honor to cross that thick white stripe and know I may get a concussion. And when I come back, I may get another one. And for all those years, guys were going back in the games with concussions. Nobody ever died. I mean, they're telling themselves that. I, I, hey, I'm, I'm a professional athlete. I know what I'm doing. Let me do it. Well, Tom Brady said earlier this week, he watches UFC. If you've ever watched UFC and you see the blatant and naked brutality that goes on there, a guy gets punched seven times in the head before the referee can literally dive on top of the fallen fighter who's getting blasted in the head. Concussion, 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 concussion. It's far more brutal than football right now. So the players don't have a problem with it. Peter, this is all about, I think, two things. One, 13 years ago this month, Congress decided to get involved and force the NFL to take concussions more seriously, even if the players aren't. And two, this is about the future supply of NFL players. This is about allowing mom and dad to think a little Jimmy or Johnny is safe playing football at a younger age. So we need to have protocols that work here because if they don't work here, they got no chance working at the local high school. So we're trying to set the standard and have it trickle down. And it's basically one big PR effort to get parents to let their kids keep playing football. 
That's why these guys are taken out and not put back in. That's why there's this abundance of caution. And I know the union is currently saying we want our players treated like patients, but the problem is the players don't want to be treated like patients. The players want to play football. Look, Mike, you know, I think the point you just made about the parents is so vitally important because if the NFL is seen as either reckless or for some reason uncaring in this particular story, uh, regardless of what the truth is, image is everything in this particular case. And right now, the NFL <clears throat> justifiably is under attack for allowing Tua Tonga-Valoa to play a football game again after demonstrating gross motor instability and then playing four days later and getting a concussion in that game. And, you know, look, I think uh, I, I asked in my column this week, I asked parents of players, uh, youth football players, to write in to me to say, what's your level of concern right now? And the best letter I got was from a guy from Andover, Massachusetts, who wrote that he was watching the football game uh, on Sunday and then obviously watched the game on Thursday night. And there's Tua Tonga-Valoa laid out, stretchered off the field. And his wife turns to him and says, they have a kid who's nine years old. And here's a guy who's played four years of high school football, four years of college football. And his wife turns to him at that moment is being stretchered off and says to him, that is why Charlie is not playing football. And this guy told me that it was, I don't know if he used the word his dream, but he, he wanted his kid to get the same lessons from football that he got. But now he can't argue with his wife. And look, Mike, we're never going to have the issue in Florida or Texas or Louisiana or Georgia. But the question is, what about all the high school kids from all these areas of the country where you don't play high school football to get a college scholarship and, and, to, and to try to make the NFL? What about all these places where, you know, you have mom and dad and, 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 and you know, all the family, you know, you've got 200 people at the high school game and you've got the traditional Thanksgiving game and you've got all these things. It's just a leisure time activity. You take it seriously, but you're not playing so you can get a scholarship to Alabama. These are the places where people are going to turn away from football. They're going to turn to other sports and they're basically going to say, I'll be damned if I'm going to let my kids developing brain at age 10, 12, 14, 16, you know, slosh around in his head with crappy helmets and on, you know, when we're not even sure how good these coaches are on our team in paying attention to things like helmet to helmet hits. So the NFL has a crisis on its hand in my hands, in my opinion. And that's why if I were the NFL, I would err on the side of extreme caution. And I don't know what exactly the NFLPA is asking for in talking to the NFL about this. I, we don't know. But the one thing I would say is I would probably agree with what the NFLPA wants to do right now 
because the very essence of the sport, uh, unless you want every kid to play flag football instead of real football, the essence of the sport, I'm not saying it's at stake, but it really is under fire right now. Well, you're absolutely right. And it's something that had been dormant for several years. It is something that had been improving for several years. But the Tuatonga-Vailoa situation lit a fuse that burned quickly between Sunday and Thursday night. And, Peter, there's one last wrinkle here that I want to talk to you about. You and I haven't talked about this at all. I don't know where you stand on this. But what happened on Sunday night in Tampa Bay with Cameron Brait, in my mind, at the end of the day, it was an expert move by the NFL and the NFLPA to brush this thing under the rug. Because I think what happened with Cameron Brait actually is more alarming for parents of kids who may or may not play football than what we saw with Tua. Because what we saw with Cameron Brait was a guy who hit his head against a teammate, clearly hit his head. The protocol was not activated by anyone. And you've got two spotters in the booth watching the action. And nobody said, we should check this guy out for a concussion. And the NFL's official position to me eventually was the spotters decided he hit his shoulder. And the union backed them up, Peter. And our lying eyes told us otherwise. Look, if you haven't seen it, where's the shoulder? His head goes right into Chris Godwin's chest. And the NFL's official position on the record was the spotters clearly saw that he hit his shoulder. And, Peter, I think that they've circled the wagons here, including the union, because they understand we can't have, just days after the Tuatonga-Vailoa debacle, a situation where a guy clearly hit his head and somehow managed to get back in the game before anyone bothered to wake up and check him for a concussion. And luckily for Cameron Brait and his family, but also for the sport, He didn't suffer another head injury while he was back in the game, having the ball thrown to him in that final drive of the first half. So, again, I've 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 already you already know what I think about it. I don't know what you think about it. But to me, in some ways, that moment was more alarming. And I think it explains why the NFL and the NFLPA got it under control. Nobody's talking about it. Let's not talk about this because this shows that it may be impossible, especially at the lower level, to ever provide the level of safety that parents are looking for. Mike, you know, when I first saw that, um, I wasn't watching the game Sunday night. I was coming back from Philadelphia. I covered the Eagles on Sunday. But I saw a replay of it. And my first question is, the NFL has to talk to the spotters. And the NFL has to, basically, they should have a Zoom meeting with the spotters this week. And they should play a tape of that and said, this is cause for the player who did leave the field with the help of Tristan Wirfs after that play. But this is cause for a player to undergo a complete exam in either in the blue medical tent or in the locker room because it just simply doesn't look right. Okay, you can say whatever you want. Well, it's the shoulder. Oh, it's the head. It's the neck. It's whatever it is. You saw it. He's laying on the ground. He, you know, sort of semi-crumpled to the ground. I mean, that is the kind of play where you got to call down and say, get that guy out of the game, put him in the blue tent, do an exam on him right now. That's why those guys are there. 
And, and just as I think those guys failed the situation in the Tua Tonga-Valoa, uh, you know, thing, I mean, you need to have the spotters upstairs basically being more severe and more strict on what they say to take people off the field. You're absolutely right, Peter. And I think the reason why it was all brushed under the rug by the league and the union, if I'm a parent and I have a kid that's approaching the age of playing football and I understand what happened on Sunday night, that even with the most stringent protocols and unlimited resources available to have people there, making sure that someone who suffered a blow to the head is properly checked out before they're allowed to go back in the game, if they can't get it right 10 out of 10 times, what chance does my kid have in the local high school system yeah. of being pulled out of the game when he suffers a blow to the head, when people aren't being paid to sit there and watch every moment of every piece of action on the field? Two of them, a certified athletic trainer and an unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant. And it wasn't away from the action. It was the guy who had the ball and his head slams into a teammate's chest and what do we get when we ask questions about it? We get, sorry to say it, alternative facts. Because it wasn't his shoulder. It was his head. But they didn't want to take what happened with Tua and push it to a higher level and suffer the PR consequences and potential damage to the future supply of football players. And I'm sorry, but if we're ever going to fix this, you can't just ignore it publicly and say we're going to do better behind the scenes. You have to own it. You have to admit it. And you have to move on. We have to move on. We'll focus on week five, ripping through some of the matchups to come, beginning in just a couple of days when PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after this. How's the shoulder feeling after some rest yesterday? Good. Feels great. Thanks for asking. I'll be there Sunday. <laughs> Tom Brady, Buccaneers quarterback. This practice Wednesday with right ring finger and right shoulder injuries back and fully participated on Thursday and will be good to go when the Falcons come to town as the Buccaneers, who are 2-2 two and two, somehow, face the Falcons, who are 2-2 two and two, somehow. Let's start there, Peter, as we rip through some of these games. Do you think Tom Brady's injuries, now we're up to two, do you think that will affect him against the Falcons this weekend? I'd be surprised if it does, Mike. He understands that the only hope that the Bucks have, he's, he's a pragmatist. He understands that the only hope the Bucks have is if he can resuscitate this offense and get it going and score at least in the 20s. Because if he scores 22 points on Sunday, they're beating Atlanta. And, but if he scores 12 points on Sunday, there's a good chance they won't beat Atlanta. And I think he has had to face this a lot in his life. He had the whole Patriots franchise on his shoulders with mostly mediocre receiving cores over the years. So he knows what that's like. And now that he knows he's got enough weaponry that's at least pretty good in terms of overall health, I think he's going to play well Sunday and they'll rebound. Yeah, and look, I agree with you generally, and I think that nothing is going to keep Tom Brady from the task at hand, and I think he becomes more determined and more focused as adversity piles up. The key is physically, how much more can he take? And if he keeps getting hit and we keep adding to this collection of injuries, 
at what point is he just not the guy that he needs to be to help the Tampa Bay Buccaneers win football games? We're up to two injuries, and it takes longer to recover at age 45. I don't care about all the TB12 stuff. You're 45 years old. You still are going to recover more slowly than if you were 35. And if he can't get away from contact and he's getting hit by guys literally half his age and younger, he's – He's getting closer and closer to the end here, Peter, and I just I hope he can make it through the season, but for a variety of reasons, I feel like this is going to be it for Tom Brady. Dolphins 3-1 and one at the Jets 2-2. Two and two. The Jets surprisingly at 500. What's your level of confidence in Teddy Bridgewater as he takes over for Tua Tonga-Vailoa while he recovers from that concussion from eight days ago? Well, Teddy Bridgewater in this game is the great equalizer. Um, I know he's had flashes of looking like a good NFL starting quarterback, but only flashes. He'll face a very uh, pressure. Uh, he'll, fa- he'll face a defense that's going to give him a lot of pressure on Sunday in the Meadowlands. And I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is good enough uh, to evade that pressure. And I think he's going to have to make a lot of throws from the pocket against uh, sort of a resurgent secondary. And it's very, very clear that Sauce Gardner is one of the... He's one of the best corners in the league right now, Mike. He's not one of the best rookie corners or the best rookie corner. He's one of the best corners in the league. And so to me, this is this is a really tough game for the Miami Dolphins because I think you saw Zach Wilson last week. He's playing fairly fearlessly now. Uh, he's not flawless, but he's going to play fearlessly. They have a good receiver core with the Jets. Elijah Moore is really starting to emerge. I, I think this is a this is a very tough game for the Miami Dolphins, and it is all on Teddy Bridgewater's shoulders. Yeah, Zach Wilson really made a difference last week. They somehow pulled a rabbit out of their hats twice on the road against AFC North teams in the fourth quarter, double-digit deficits. They're going to have some confidence when the Dolphins come to town and they take on Teddy Bridgewater. Eagles are 4-0, and last unbeaten team in the NFL. They head to Arizona. Cardinals breaking out those sweet black helmets, trying to be a little more consistent, trying to get started. Jalen Hurts earlier this week during his press conference, he was asked no questions about the Cardinals, so he brought it up. Hey, if y'all aren't going to ask me about the Cardinals, I'm going to talk about them. They're a good team. We can't be asleep at the switch. We're kind of getting into that trap area, that correction Sunday possibility with the Cowboys looming next week for the Eagles. Do you think maybe the Cardinals can catch the Eagles off guard and and steal one from them? You know, Kyler Murray's going to have to be great in this game. I saw the Eagles last week, Mike. They're down 14 nothing, and they just crushed the souls of the Jacksonville Jaguars from there. And, you know, to me, the thing about Philadelphia is that they can play in a lot of different ways. They can win a game running the ball. You saw it last week with Miles Sanders. They ran for whatever, 210 yards. Uh, Miles Sanders has the best game of his NFL career against a good defensive front. Uh, So, you know, if you're the Cardinals, it's all easy to say, well, Kyler's got to have a great day. Kyler's got to have a great day anytime they they play a football game because they don't have a chance if he stinks. But the difficulty about beating the Philadelphia Eagles right now is they can win a lot of ways on offense and they can win a lot of ways on defense as well. 
I'm going to ask you a question I posed yesterday to Chris Sims. All things equal, all factors the same, who would you take right now, Jalen Hurts or Kyler Murray? I'd take Jalen Hurts. Isn't uh, that saying for, something? I'll take that saying for two reasons. Else? Yeah, you're taking the 53rd pick in the draft in 2020 versus the first pick in the draft in 2019. And, Mike, I say that for a couple of reasons. Number one, I would worry long-term about how long Kyler Murray can last. I don't care what anybody said. This contract, getting the contract this year, was about Kyler Murray's, uh, you know, thought deep in the recesses of his mind that, I need to get some insurance. I'm not playing a football season for $5 million. I'm not doing it. And I think the Cardinals realized it. He was serious. He was not going to play this year. And what that says to me when he says, I'm not playing for $5 million, which I don't know that he ever said it, but that had to be his belief. I'm not playing for $5 million. It has to have something to do with the fact that he knows that he exposes himself to a lot of of big hits and and you, you know you don't know how long he can last so this is as much about durability as anything else and mike you know i know it's a small sample size through the first quarter of this season do you know who leads the nfl in yards per attempt that category of the of the ancient nfl statistical data world that means something to people like, and you've raised it with Kevin Gilbride, uh, a lot of the old-time traditional coaches, the only thing they care about is yards per attempt. Well, right now, 9.1 yards per attempt. Jalen Hurts leads the NFL. He has proven that you don't have to disguise and game plan and scheme and do all these things to hide him. I'll take Jalen Hurts. Well, and I ask that question because he's the one who's up for a contract after this year. And maybe a year ago, my thought was the Eagles can sign him to an affordable contract and have money for everybody else. Nope, they're going to have to dig deep and pay this guy a fair rate because there are plenty of people right now that would take him over Kyler Murray. Last one, very quickly. Show me something Daniel Jones at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Sunday in London. Giants and the Packers. Brian Dayball, the coach of the... New York Giants says we expect Jones to play, but we want to see how he runs around today. He's got that ankle injury. Tyrod Taylor made the trip, but he's still in the concussion protocol. You know, the Giants are three and one, but it's kind of like the Broncos at two and three. Like it, they feel like they're worse than that. And the Packers are, are still finding their groove, but you know, they finally have a game with two winning teams in London after 10 plus years. This is the first time ever both teams have a winning record, but the Giants just don't feel like a team with a, w- a winning record, Peter. No, they don't. And, Mike, you know, it's it's so interesting. Two of the players who were left behind uh, in New Jersey when the Giants got on the plane last night for London, Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Tony. You know, the gifts that keep on giving from Dave Gettleman to the current Giants regime. You know, the lead balloons that are Kadarius Tony and Kenny Galladay. And it's amazing to me that the Giants have figured out some way. It's a tribute to the schedule. Thank God the Bears were in town last week. It's a tribute to the schedule as much as anything else. But the Giants have a chance in this game if they can play the game in the teens. If, the sco- if, the, if Green Bay scores 20 points, the Giants aren't winning this game. 
You know, Cole Beasley retired from the Buccaneers on Wednesday. They released him from the practice squad on Thursday, so he's free and clear. And John Feliciano, the Giants center, spoke openly earlier this week about how badly the Giants have wanted Cole Beasley. Dayball was with Beasley in Buffalo. And the Giants were one of the teams that had been trying and trying and trying. They just won't they won't offer the money. The way I heard it was they're willing to pay him two million dollars for the year and hey, you'll catch eighty five passes in our system. And the easy reaction to that is well, why the hell are they only offer me two million dollars a year? if I'm going to catch 85 passes in your system. So they need help at receiver. Not that he's going to be a huge difference, but but that may be the kick they need because Daniel Jones doesn't have a whole lot of options beyond Saquon Barkley. Let's take a break. Cowboys and the Rams get together on Sunday in a game that suddenly becomes fascinating in the NFC given where the Cowboys are better than we expected and where the Rams are not as good as we expected. More PFT Live presented by Google Pixel right after this. How often do you use the point spread to motivate the team? I don't know if I ever have. Uh, well, I don't, you know, I have. I, I, what is it this week? Uh, we're, 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 we're underdogs? You know, uh, we're good. All right. Just read my Saturday night speech. I'm good. No, no, I've, not, I've never used it. But I'll just say this. We're nobody's underdog. So if you need a quote. Underdog. I love that. It's it's so funny how they try so hard to make us think that things like that don't matter. You bet your yeah. ass when it's time <laughs> to push buttons yeah. and get guys fired up. The stuff that we say even becomes part of the motivation, but they never want to admit it because they don't want us to think that we have any power or that they have any regard for the things we say until they can use the things we say to get their guys fired up. And I thought this was a mistake when I saw that the Rams are five-and-a-half-point favorites. Oh, they're playing at home. Yeah, in front of all the Cowboys fans are going to take over SoFi Stadium because they were in Oxnard for the 20 years that the Rams were in St. Louis. The Cowboys are going to have that edge. The Cowboys have a defense that's on par with the 49ers who dismantled the Rams on Monday night. Short week for Matthew Stafford to recover. Peter, my take on on – Matthew Stafford, we're going to hear from Sean McVay on that in a second. I think he's probably got five or six injuries he's just not telling anybody about because that's the way he's always been. You're not hiding it from the league or the opponent if the player just doesn't say boo about it to the team. You're not even getting treatment. I'm fine. You know, he's banged up. I'm fine. And he just keeps going. And I got a ton of respect for that. But And I'm not making an excuse for him, and he wouldn't make this excuse, but I think that's the only explanation for the performance we saw on Monday night. He's just quietly and secretly banged up, and it's affecting the way that he plays. Mike, the the biggest problem that I see with the Rams right now, and, you know, even though no one ever talks about, when you talk about the Rams, no one ever talks about, boy, they, they better run the ball better or, or whatever, except internally, inside their building. They have a disastrous running game right now. In part, it's because of the loss of the big rock, Andrew Whitworth at left tackle. That has been a sieve position for this team. But Mike, they're averaging 3.3 yards a carry. It's always second and nine. The pressure is always on Matthew Stafford to make a play. It's easy to sit here and say, well, Allen Robinson, he's no good. He just, he, he, he has not responded in the first month of the season. Well, no crap, Sherlock. You know, there's something missing 
you know, between Allen Robinson and, you know, a finely tuned, you know, hugely important member of this offense. They throw it to Cooper Cup 94 times a game, but they wouldn't have to throw it to Cooper Cup 94 times a game if occasionally it was second and four instead of it always being second and nine or second and 10. Yeah, it really is odd to see that defenses are not concerned about taking away Cooper Cup. I thought that's what would happen this year. Redouble their efforts to take him away and force Matthew Stafford to go elsewhere. Instead, they just take away all the other options and say, go ahead and throw it to Cup. Keep throwing it to Cup. We'll go tackle him and we'll move on to the next play. It's, it's when you're averaging nine yards a catch, like Cooper Cup, it's nine point something. You know, that basically says to me that, okay, you're fine in letting Cooper Cup catch balls underneath the linebackers. You're fine. You know, or, or, and, and that is the bothersome thing. It's not like Cooper Cup's going to average 15 yards a catch. I get it. But when you're averaging nine points something a catch, it is a clear sign that you simply are not getting what you need from the other players on your team to free Cooper Cup to occasionally catch a 30-yard pass. There's this prevailing and persistent belief that the Rams eventually will bring back Odell Beckham Jr. He can't get on that field soon enough. And the longer this goes, Peter, this point Sims made, and we've been talking about it for weeks now, if the Rams aren't going to get this deal done while Beckham is healing, Beckham may want to look around and ask himself, is this really the best place for me to play this year? There's no pressure on Beckham to do this right now, Mike. He should wait until the end of October when he's almost ready to play football. Let's say he starts playing around Thanksgiving. He still has a good three weeks to look at the landscape and say, hey, maybe I should go to Team X. You know, maybe I should go to the 49ers or maybe I should go wherever, but go somewhere. Maybe I should go to Buffalo and reunite with my friend Von Miller. Look, you know what it is, Mike? Here's the crazy thing. We're only talking about a two or three month contract. That's all this is. This is like you're a businessman taking a trip, pack one suitcase. You don't even pack heavy. Pack one suitcase, go to your new team, and on February 15th, you're free again. That's that's how I would look at it if I were Odell Beckham Jr. Oh, hey, it is the ultimate mercenary move where yeah. you can you just you go pick your winner, you wait and you pick the right horse at the right time and you go help make the yeah. difference and you play into January and maybe into February and set yourself up for the contract you didn't get this year because the ACL went out non-contact in the Super Bowl against the Bengals. Um, let's hear briefly from Sean McVay, his assessment of what we saw from Matthew Stafford on Monday night in that resounding loss to the 49ers. You know, if you look at, you know, some of the different things that he was dealing with, I thought he played excellent the other night, thought he did a lot of good things. I think, you know, the margin for error was that much smaller just because of how hard it was to be able to get explosives. But when you have a handful of drives that you get down into the red area, um, whether it was a play call or missed assignment, different things like that, everything seemed like it was a little bit heightened 
um, because they're such a tough, good defense. But I thought that was a performance that he could build on. I thought given the circumstances around him, he had great command. I thought he moved really well in the pocket. What I thought was as impressive as anything is some of the hits he took, he didn't let that affect him as the game continued to progress. Look, he really does keep going, and he never flinches in the face of whatever is happening to him. But he just doesn't have the help around him this year, and at some point those injuries, if he does have injuries that he's keeping to himself, they're going to accumulate to the point where he just can't keep going. I mean, his arm was all banged up, his left arm. I mean, he just – and again, he just – he's unappreciated relative to where he should be. He's quiet. He goes about his business, he never complains, and he always finds a way to show up and suit up unless it really is something serious. And uh, he just doesn't have the help around him this year, Peter. And and it's 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 just strange to see because it's not like the team fell off a cliff, but it's just enough of a difference from last year to make this team seem like a far cry from a Super Bowl contender. Look, you know what it is, Mike, to me? It is... I'm not worried about the interceptions. Matthew Stafford, his entire career, has thrown interceptions. And that's just, you've got to accept that. So he's got six picks and probably a couple more that were dropped. You know, and we just saw two of them in that game. But the issue for me is his offensive line's a disaster. And until they figure out some way, and maybe it is throwing more very quick stuff to Tyler Higby and moving the chains six yards at a time, you know, with Tyler Higby. Maybe it's throwing more screens. Maybe it is just doing more with the backs to get them in space. I don't know what it is. But right now, I, I'm, the interceptions don't bother me. What bothers me is the fact that Matthew Stafford, I bet, had five clean pockets the entire game the other night. You can't win in the NFL when you never have a clean pocket. Let's go ahead and take a break when we return where the Bengals pick up where they left off with the Ravens last season at a time when the Ravens cannot buy a win in their home stadium. More PFT Live presented by Google Pixel right after this. Last season, the Bengals swept the Ravens, and Joe Burrow went off in those games, throwing for 941 yards and seven touchdowns and only one interception. Here's Ravens coach John Harbaugh on what he has seen from Joe Burrow this season. He's, he's obviously he's an AFC championship quarterback, you know, and uh, he's uh, they do what they do with him so well. I think they built the offense really well around what he does well. Uh, he's got a he's got he's got uh, there's it's not just it's not just getting the ball out quick and on time. It's not just reading coverage. Uh, he can he can hold the ball. He can move in the pocket. You know they do the play action stuff as well. Uh, he's he's tough to get down in the pocket. You know all those things are uh, kind of staples to his game, and I see him doing it just like he's been doing it. Yeah, look, Joe Burrow, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. You lose your first two games of the season. You get banged around. Narratives get locked in prematurely. The Bengals are still pretty good. They could be four and zero. At a minimum, three and one. They had that Steelers game one block extra point. They win that game. And then in the Cowboys game, they could have won as well. But they've looked much better the past couple of weeks. Fairly convincing, especially in the second half against the Dolphins. The Ravens are three point favorites in this one, even though they've lost five games in a row at home. I, this just to me, Peter, I said this yesterday to Sims. This is a John Harbaugh game that John Harbaugh's 
just raw will and competitiveness will prevent his team from failing to get this one right. It's gone on for too long against the Bengals. It's gone on for too long at home. They've led. There's some weird stat where like they've led every minute of every game this year except for 14 seconds. So or tied, but they've only trailed by like 14 seconds all season, and they're two and two. The defense is very bad, but I feel like this is a game where Harbaugh finds a way to get the Ravens on the right side of 500. I think the most telling thing about this game is that the Bengals just don't seem to be the unstoppable passing game. Uh, They don't have the unstoppable passing game that they had last year against the Ravens. Then again, the Ravens have been very generous late in games against good offenses. So this is a game where Mike Mike McDonald, the uh, defensive coordinator of the Ravens, really needs to stress to his players, and I know it sounds oversimplistic. This is a 60-minute game. Burrow is one of these guys who you can have down, have down, have down. And just like Tua was in week two and just like Josh Allen was in week four, if you give them any sign of life in the fourth quarter, they're going to put a stake in your heart. And Burrow is the exact same quarterback. What I'm looking for in Baltimore is a 60-minute effort, not a 47-minute effort. Is unbelievable when you consider this fact, Peter. There have been four games this year in which a team has trailed by 17 or more points and has come back to win or tie. Two of those games involved the Ravens. And in both of those instances, the Ravens were the team that blew the lead. 21 to the Dolphins, 17 to the Buffalo Bills. They've got to build a lead. They've got to hold a lead. Just like the Jerry Seinfeld take on reservations for rental cars you know how to take the reservation you know how to take a reservation (laughs) you don't know how to hold the reservation the holding is the more important thing holding the lead is the far more important thing than taking the lead for the baltimore ravens let's take a break we're actually ahead a little bit but i've said all i want to say about the ravens and the Bengals. look let's see what the ravens can do let's see what lamar jackson can do let's see what john harbaugh can do they need to get it done or it could be another long year for baltimore the show me something draft for week oh i'm excited about this one I'm already losing track of which week it is. I almost said six. I'm getting ahead of myself. Week five, show me something when PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after this. Tom, in all your years, there's even more parity now. There's a lot of teams that are two and two. Hey, there's a lot of bad football from what I watch. I watch a lot of bad football, a lot of... Tom Brady, he's going to be a real joy in the broadcast booth in the month of September when he's calling (laughs) games. Old man yelling at clouds about how bad the football is. Back in my day, we played good football. All right, show me something. We actually may go four rounds today. I think Peter could go 15 rounds today. And again, show me something isn't about necessarily being on the hot seat or under pressure. This is just a guy who has an opportunity to to do something good. For his own good, for his team's good, or for our entertainment. Peter, you're up first. Show me something draft week five. Show me something Kenny Pickett. Look, I understand that the Steelers have an Armageddon schedule the next month, and they do. And, but this is about this week at Buffalo. This is about 
people looking at the Pittsburgh Steelers playing football on Sunday and saying, this is why we picked the quarterback in the first round. This is why we picked Kenny Pickett over Malik Willis. And this is why we need to see a good performance on Sunday. And Mike, you don't need to see Kenny Pickett, you know, go shock the world and beat the Buffalo Bills. You know what you need to see? You need to see a competent quarterback who's efficient on Sunday and gives your team a chance to win. That's what the Pittsburgh Steelers are looking for. They're going to be one and four at the end of the day Sunday. We all know that. But this is about Kenny Pickett being competent and showing that your franchise in a quarterback sense is in pretty good hands. Show me something, Kenny Pickett. And what a weird vibe that was last week. He came in, scored a couple of rushing touchdowns, but they blew that 10-point lead. So Steelers fans hoping for a spark that is sustained. Show me something, Kyler Murray. We already talked about him earlier. This is an opportunity for him to start fast and finish strong and knock off the last unbeaten team in the NFL. They got those sweet black helmets. I don't know if I like the rest of the uniform, but those helmets are awesome. Give you a little lift. Give you a little swag going into the game. But this is a chance for Kyler Murray to reestablish himself start to finish. We've seen him play like that once this year where he was just lights out start to finish. That's what it's going to take. And the offense has to be locked in. The other players have to step up if they want to have a shot against the Eagles. They have a great chance to catch the Eagles maybe unprepared with the Cowboys looming. Kyler Murray, show me something and get your team to 3-2. and two. Show me something, Aaron Glenn, the Detroit defensive coordinator who I believe could be and should be a future NFL head coach, is in quicksand right now with a bad, bad defense in Detroit. No one has allowed more points than the Detroit Lions, allowing 35.3 points per game through four games. And look, you know, the fire alarm is going off. We talked about it going off in the Denver Broncos building. It really went off all week in Detroit. So now you go and play your old coach, (laughs) Matt Patricia, against the New England Patriots. And I'll tell you what, if the Patriots put up 30 with Bailey Zappi or I don't know who, you know, pick another quarterback, Tom Hodson, Hugh Millen, if, if the Patriots put up 30 against the Detroit Lions, I don't want to be in the building next week in Allen Park, Michigan. I don't know that I want to be in Aaron Glenn's office. This is a huge statement game for Aaron Glenn, the defensive coordinator of the Detroit Lions. Hell, bring uh, Scott Zolak down from the broadcast booth and let him throw it around a little bit. He can score some points against this Lions defense. I'm going to go show me something Zach Wilson, who did show us something last week in his first game back after suffering the knee injury in the preseason. But this is an opportunity to do something they haven't done all year, win a game at home in front of a very demanding Jets crowd and knock off a Dolphins team that has a very good defense that has bedeviled many a quarterback. Zach Wilson's got that mobility. He's got the accuracy. He's got the it factor. I know Sims is a huge fan of Zach Wilson. We're still waiting to see him play at the highest end possible. This may be an opportunity for Wilson now that he's got his sea legs under him. He's back and he's played a game. They should have a lot of confidence coming out of their ability to win a game in Pittsburgh. Wouldn't it be something if the Jets can start lighting it up offensively against a good defense and stealing a victory and pulling even with the Dolphins in the AFC East, Peter? 
Show me something Monday night, Chandler Jones. You know, the Las Vegas Raiders spent a lot of money to bring in a really good bookend for Max Crosby in the offseason. They brought in Chandler Jones. He was thrilled to be reunited with Patrick Graham, you know, his old coach with the Patriots, and now Patrick Graham, his defensive coordinator in Vegas. And so far this season, zero sacks for Chandler Jones. 87 snaps the last two weeks, zero sacks, one significant quarterback pressure. It's time. Mike, I don't know if you remember, but last year, the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Raiders twice by more than 25 points. And to me, this year, this is a statement game. We talked about a statement game the other day, or you know, my last one with Aaron Glenn. This is a statement game for the Raiders' defense. They got beaten like a drum all last year by Patrick Mahomes. And they have to stand up and be counted. Show me something, Chandler Jones. Be a part of the solution with the Raiders' defense. I think the Chiefs are still upset about the time the Raiders won in Kansas City and did a victory lap around the stadium in their buses. I think they still find motivation from that. Show me something, and I've deliberated here. I'm going to say show me something, Kevin O'Connell, because the Vikings are 3-1. and one. It doesn't feel like they're 3-1. and one. They got right. lucky against the Lions. They should have lost that game. Dan Campbell handed them that game. They took it, but Dan Campbell handed it to them. And then in New Orleans, you got half the team injured for the Saints, and you still have to rely on a double-doink missed field goal to avoid overtime against the Saints. This is a Bears team the Vikings should beat handily. So is it going to be another one of these sluggish, oh, God, here we go, we're just going to let it go down to the fourth quarter, and maybe we'll get lucky at the end of the game, or are they going to come out and show the kind of dominance we saw week one against the Green Bay Packers? They had six months to get ready for the Packers. You had a week after London to get ready for the Bears. The Bears are dangerous. They could run the ball all over you. Maybe Justin Fields can wake up and have a good game against a bad Vikings defense. This is going to be total team effort by the Vikings to establish that they deserve to be 3-1 and one by convincingly getting to 4-1, and one, not 24-23 with some late field goal or some fluke here or there. But I'm talking about a 30-13 to 13 type of a win. Show me something, Kevin O'Connell. Hey, look, Mike, you know, we can talk about, you know, there's a lot of players who you look at who are really under pressure going into this weekend. But one of the players who's got to be high on that list and why I'm going to say show me something, show me something, Jacoby Brissett. You have wanted the chance, you know, to quarterback a good team to the playoffs or to the doorstep of the playoffs. You know, you have felt your whole career that, hey, I'm a little bit better than I'm giving credit for. Uh, I should have got more of a chance here, there, and everywhere. Okay, now's your chance. You lost a game in Atlanta last week, you know, where your defense wasn't great, but it played well enough to win. But you only put up 20 points against the Atlanta Falcons. Show me something Jacoby Brissett against the Los Angeles Chargers at home. The Chargers are a flawed team. You're a flawed team. You have to beat a a flawed but still good team at home to keep your franchise in realistic playoff contention. Show me something, Jacoby Brissett. 
I like this four-round show-me-something draft. And the last one for me is the guy who was Peter King's go-to-the-week in football morning in America, Trevor Lawrence. Even though the Jaguars were up 14-0, it fell apart. He was fumbling the ball left and right. The Jaguars have an opportunity. They have a mandate this week. Peter, do you know how many consecutive times the Jaguars have lost to the Texans? Do you know the number off the top of your head? I know. Eight. The Texans have beaten the Jaguars. Eight straight times. It has to end on Sunday if the Jaguars want to show that they truly are contenders. Lose this game to the Texans. You're two and three. It was a fluke in September. You kick the crap out of the Texans. We take you seriously again. And I still take them seriously. They gave the Eagles everything they can handle. But this is one that Trevor Lawrence has to step up and they have to win this game convincingly, not just because the Jaguars are part of my super special six-team parlay that I won't play, but if somebody else wants to play it, and make about 47-1 to if it hits, be my guest. But the Jaguars are one of those six teams giving seven points to the Texans. Let's take a break. We'll wrap up this Friday edition of PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, right after this. You know, I'm ashamed, Peter. We spent so much time talking about the Broncos and what the new ownership group needs to be doing today when they have a strategic planning session for how to fix this steaming pile of horse crap, as you aptly called it at the beginning of the show. They have access to Peyton Manning. Bring in Peyton Manning. Now, Peyton Manning may want a big check and or a bag of cash before he even gets out of bed to do it, but that's fine. Give it to him. You've got it. Bring him in. Bring in Elway. Talk to all the people you know who have a vested interest in the Broncos being good and get some advice on what can be done, what should be done to turn this thing around on the fly. Yeah, and I think that's a great idea about Manning particularly. Uh, I don't know. I mean, look, I have no idea how much John Elway is watching every team in the league or is paying attention, but you know that Peyton Manning is watching everything right now. And the biggest thing that Peyton Manning can tell him, can tell the owners, is here's what I think about Russell Wilson right now. Here's how to fix it. Yeah, I'd love to be a fly on the wall for that one. But for the fact of having to be a fly, that wouldn't be very appetizing. That's it for today's BFD Live. See you Monday. Enjoy the games.